All right. So welcome to the book of Colossians. Colossians is about God, and that's the book of Colossians. Yeah, actually, Colossians. The end. Is my favorite book. Is it? Um, Kind of. So I really enjoy John. I enjoy Colossians because I feel like they're the foundational books for when talking about the deity of Christ. Mm. You go right to John and Colossians. So I really enjoy that. And it's I, I don't think it's an easy read in the way of theology. Obviously, it requires deep study. But it's kind of an easy read because it's shorter and mm. it's so filled with rich theology that you can spend some serious time studying it. And finish it. Yeah. So I, I really love that book. Yeah, you're right. This book is definitely not one that you want to gloss over. This is the one that you're going to want to uh, really study, you know? Wow. The dad puns get worse and worse each and every episode. <laughs> but it's like you have to expect you can't have a real conversation here. Yeah, it's that doesn't exist. Someone no, has, but what we can talk about is Christmas in the sticks. Yeah, because it's Christmas week this week. Ah, this week right now. Yeah. As we're recording is christmas week yeah to be honest with you guys we just did a uh, halloween like two days ago but uh when this is dropping it's like christmas gotcha oh wait it's november 15th oh snap you ho, blasting ho. us fool you roasting us fool i had to add the extra two hoes to your one I had to do something. Yeah. It's Christmas week. Yeah. Thanks for that. You know what I mean? I love putting up my pagan tree and, and yeah. putting the pagan lights on it. Yep. And, and, and worshiping and the worshiping tree. worshiping my pagan gods. You know what this yeah. is? This is Dwayne's finger. Yeah. I, nobody can see what you're doing. <laughs> just want to make sure everybody knows that. Dwayne is judging you. He, he's like, I feel a disturbance. Yeah, Dwayne actually... When we were talking about Halloween mm-hmm. on the YouTube, he's totally rejected any idea that Christmas has pagan roots. And uh, I've actually heard that more recently because everyone says, oh, Christmas has a pagan root, you know. But if you really look into it, it's not really pagan. Mm. But this is Christmas week. What do you guys want for Christmas? Paganism. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I'd say paganism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because I was going to say paganism. <laughs> it's like it's all I want. All, all, I, all I want I for Christmas about. is paganism. Yeah. For real. Anything that you would particularly want? Um, I don't know. We're still setting up the apartment. Maybe like uh, a bookshelf Ooh. or a sitting chair. Nice. Read a nice book. Yeah. I almost never sit in my bedroom. Okay. I want a Logitech Brio. What is that? A, a Tell webcam? the audience what that is, Ryan. Is it's that a, a webcam? Yeah, it's a nicer webcam than my cheap fish crud. eye one. Your fish eye one? Yeah. I like the fish eye one. I don't I mean, yeah, it's okay. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. But it's terrible. <laughs> you know? I was actually at uh Guitar Center the other day and I was like, Hey, what are the best mics for podcasting and YouTube? And Did stuff? they say Blue Yeti? No, he didn't say the Blue Yeti. Everybody says Blue Yeti, and it's like so outplayed, dude. He didn't say Blue Yeti. He, he There was another one there that was just for podcasting and YouTube and stuff. Was it the Shure uh, SM57B? Yes. yes, that's what it was. Yeah. That's a good and one. it was it's like... Little, it looks a little shotgunny. But there's yeah. two of them. There's one that requires like all these bells and whistles to make it work, and then there's another one that he said was just as good, 
but it's a plug and play. Oh, USB. Oh, Blue Yeti. No, it wasn't Blue Yeti. <laughs> okay. No. Guys, <laughs> I think we've talked about this, but we, we use like $13 microphones for our podcast. Yeah. And strangely, I I feel as if uh, our podcast sounds a lot better than a lot of than podcasts. Most. But the, the secret sauce here is that's that's one mark that uh, is like a sound genius. That's, yeah. that's well, why yeah. it sounds so good. You have to know how to use an EQ and a compressor on it, and you can yeah. make any mic sound pretty good. Yeah. 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 Well, Mark can. But <laughs> you just gave away all of our secrets, bro. Yeah. Now people are going to be messing with the EQs and all this and stuff all gonna, over the yeah, place. Oh, man. You're starting podcasts. Everyone's going to be sounding good. I can see it now. Yeah. You just. I didn't tell them how to use an EQ. Oh, well, you just told them that it was the EQ. So yeah. now they're going to get lost in it. Yeah. Bible dingers ding or no But you know how ding. we start the show. <laughs> with ding or no ding. Where I come up with a headline, and Ryan and Mark need to decide if it's ding, real, or no ding, fake. But you know what we talked about on the show once before? Somebody getting buried in something. Can you remember? Mm. Oh, the cheese it Oh, the Pringles guy. The Pringles guy. Yeah, I remember. Once you pop, oh, yeah. the fun don't stop. Ever. So I figured, you know, let's talk about the Pringle can. Can for we? this ding or no ding for Christmas, how would you like a six foot Pringle can? I I wouldn't really like it. You wouldn't like it? No. I love Pringles. Yeah. I feel like what do I do with all these? Yeah. I didn't say filled can. I just said a can. Now I really don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just an empty six foot can? I could yeah. see that being useful. <laughs> You know, <laughs> to reach stuff. Yeah. You know, like just take the top off and knock it into the can when you reach for it. Yeah. And then you have to turn the can upside down. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. When you can't reach something, get the can so you can reach it. Yeah. Now you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. Yeah. That's right. Six foot Pringle cans are now available. Ding. Or no ding. But are they empty? To ding or not to ding? That is the question. What is the answer? What? Ding. Ding. Ding? Ding. 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 Oh, you pulled a fast one on me, buddy. you doing? You stumped us. But what I will tell you. You said but. Is what is available in the Pringers in the Pringles can, <laughs> Pringers. Just because I think it's a cool fact, but it gave me a redirect notice. <laughs> <laughs> this previous page is sending you to this. Oh, that's so interesting. If you do not want to visit that page, you can return to the previous page. No, I just want to go to the regular page that I clicked on. Thank you very much. <laughs> Once you pop. Oh. The fun don't stop. Yeah. Pringles come in three-foot tubes in Italy, and we're so jealous. You know what they say about Pringles, don't you? Once the pop, the, the stop. Once you pop, <laughs> you just can't stop. But imagine if you had a three-foot tube of Pringles and you popped it. Would you still end up not being able to stop until they were all gone? Probably not. <laughs> The reason we ask is that we just found out that three-foot tubes of Pringles exist, and it's literally the stuff 
of crisps based dreams. Once you pop, the fun don't stop up in Italy where they sell three foot Pringle cans. Mamma mia. I think the author. How you doing? The author of that article just has like a Pringles addiction. I can't relate. Oh, he had a weird addiction. Oh, he's too. a weird obsession with Pringles. That I just it he, disturbs you. They was writing it as if like you. We all feel this way about Pringles, right? Yeah. I mean, if I saw a three foot tube of Pringles, I'd be intrigued. Sure. I'm not going to say I'm going to buy it, but yeah. it'd be cool to look at. Yeah. Yeah. So for Christmas, both of you are getting a Logitech Brio, a three foot oh. <laughs> Pringle can. Merry Christmas, guys. This is Screamo, isn't it? Slide up right. in the room like oh. My bad, just excuse my country grandma. Brother pulled up in the charger, but he drive it like a family. Right from my baggy inside, I got the cannon, but not that type of cannon. Christmas in the sticks with all my folks. Gather around the fire, cause it's cold. Grandma making magic on the stove. Hey, hey, I like that. You like that? And like that's that. why the outline says Christmas in the sticks on the top. Okay. That... 30 second jewel. I last year didn't you do like uh something similar and then it turns into a screamo song? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you played your your favorite Christmas August album. Burns Red is my favorite Christmas yeah. album, yeah. Yeah, you played that last year. Yeah. I could still admit that I really don't enjoy it, but I like it through you. Like I feel like it makes me think of you. Yeah. So I love it. I like things through you too, Nick. Like through me? Yeah. That's intense. Anyway. We're talking about Colossians. And I should probably tell you that my name is Nick, and I'm here with Ryan and Mark, if this is your first time listening, and we are Bible Dingers. And today's episode is about the book of Colossians, and we are going to dive in right now. Where are the turtles? And talk about the turtle, a.k.a. the title of the book. Colossians. Like many other letters Paul wrote, this one is titled after the city in which the church he's writing to is located. So the church was uh, located in Col- Colossia, right? Colossi. Look, Colossi. The, look at the second point. That's true. Colossi. <laughs> ah, Colossi. Colossi is what it says. Right? Colossi. <laughs> Second point that I want to mention about the title is Colossi, pronounced C-A-L-A-S-I, is where the church is located. I love how Ryan actually wrote out how I need to pronounce Colossi. I'm here for you. Next up is, it was also to be read in the nearby church. Why didn't you spell this word out for me? Laodicea. Laodicea. All right. Because I figured you would say that, and then I would say it, and then you would say it after mm-hmm. me. Laodicea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was also to be read in the nearby church at Laodicea. All righty. Now it is time for... Who wrote this? The authorship of the book. So, there's a large amount of supporting evidence for Paul's authorship of this book. What is this evidence, you ask? Let me tell you. The first one is the self-proclamation in the book. And it self-proclaims in three different places. That would be in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 18. And in fact, in chapter 1, verse 23, and chapter 4, verse 18, the verse says, I, 
Paul write this? Look at you. So that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Um, also, the book references by name many of Paul's known associates, and I'm going to give you the list here. The first one is Tychicus, then Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, and Archippus. All right. So everyone knows, everyone knows, I mean, especially me, but you guys too at this point know that these are Paul's associates. These are his, what you would say, boys. Tribe. His his crew, his squad. Yeah. This is them. All right. So this is another uh, attestation of Paul's authorship. Also, there is quite a close. Quite a close. (laughs) Quite a close relationship to Ephesians. Uh, And we know that because of a couple of reasons. Firstly, Colossians mentions in chapter 4, verse 7, that is being delivered by Tychicus. Tychicus. I am delivered. Also delivered the book of Ephesians. I am delivered. So Ephesians and Colossians were very likely written at or around the same time and picked up at the same time by Tychicus. And this supports, obviously, Paul as the author of Colossians because there is incredibly strong evidence for his authorship of Ephesians. Also, Colossians has a close relation to Philemon or Philemon, depending on who you are, right? Um, And some points that support that are that both books mention Timothy's name in the greeting along with Paul's, so noting that Timothy's with him. Uh, We see that in Colossians 1 verse 1 and Philemon 1. Also, greetings are sent in both books from the same list of people, the list that I just uh, gave off. Also, Archippus' ministry is mentioned in both books, as well as Onesimus is mentioned in both books. Evidence and support for Paul's authorship of Philemon is airtight. So since it's so similar to Philemon, it is highly likely that he is also the writer of Colossians. So there's quite a, a large amount of internal evidence of Paul's authorship. But there's also some external evidence, and that is that the early church leaders attest to Paul's authorship of this book, including Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, and Eusebius. Um, And that that is honestly a list of people that we uh, rely on quite heavily to know who authored what books of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Unless you are a post-millennialist, of course, for which you have to throw that list out for the book of Revelation. Mm. Mark. Mm. Nick. All right. Next question is very important, and that is... Yo, 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 when this was written. (laughs) The date of authorship. So we've gone through Paul's biographical history pretty extensively over the past several episodes. So if you'd like a holistic picture of Paul's history, it would be good to go back and listen to the episode on the book of 1 Corinthians. Also, for a better understanding of Paul's imprisonment, the Ephesians episode gives you a full background. Essentially, though, there were several different imprisonments that Paul went through. This was written during the second known imprisonment, which was a sort of house arrest in Rome. During the imprisonment, he was allowed some freedoms within his house, and he could have visitors and send out correspondence, and he was guarded by Roman guards, though. So during this time, he wrote the prison epistles, which include 
Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Another uh, quick fact about the house arrest. It took place between 60 and 62 A.D. This book doesn't mention any sort of outcome or conclusion nearing for his imprisonment as Philippians does. It also delivered at the same time as Ephesians and probably Philemon. This puts the date of authorship early into his prison term, so it was very likely that it was written around 60 A.D. Yes, yeah, so those four books were written during that house arrest, um, but, but the three of them, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, they don't mention anything about any sort of known uh, ending to his imprisonment. Yeah. While Philippians does, so that people think that those three were written together early on, and then Philippians was written later on. All right, next it is time for the historical context. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the city or area of Colossae. So Colossae was actually in a really pretty area. It was around 100 miles east of Ephesus within the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It is in a two-mile-wide stretch sorry, of the Lycus Valley next to Mount Cadmus, which is now today known as Mount Madron. Mount Madron rose 8,000 feet above the city, so it's uh, quite large. If you know, miles are 5,280 feet, I believe, oh. so this is like a mile and a half high. That's large. This mountain. Yeah. At one point, around the 5th century BC, it was actually a thriving city that used to sell black wool and dye made from nearby chalk deposits. By the time Paul wrote this letter, though, Colossae had declined significantly due to the construction of a major road that bypassed Colossae and instead went through Laodicea. At this point, it was just a small country town, which is uh, unique for Paul. Paul is mostly, like we've mentioned, a metropolitan guy. He goes to the big cities. Um, So Colossae was one of the very few that is written to a small town. Which is kind of odd. You would think a, a place called Colossi would be colossal, right? But it was actually, actually yeah. small. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so the, the population of Colossi was mainly Gentile, but there was a large Jewish population because they were sent there by Antiochus the Great, who reigned in 223 to 187 BC. Many of these exiled people decided to settle and stay in Colossi. Next, you need to know about the church in Colossi. The church in Colossae was not directly planted by Paul. It was planted by someone who was probably converted by Paul, though. It is probably that while Paul was spending three years in Ephesus, Epaphras was visiting the city and was saved while there. He then went back to Colossae and planted the Colossian church. Years later, the church was hit with a strange and new belief system that wasn't exactly the same as most of the other churches. While other churches were dealing with Judaizers disrupting their church, which we've talked about in many episodes, if you haven't uh, listened to all of our episodes, you should. Um, We talk about this quite a bit in in some of the earlier epistles, Mm -hmm. like Romans and 1 Corinthians and stuff like that. The Colossian church, however, was dealing with the beginning of a set of beliefs which became known as Gnosticism. 
Gnosticism didn't have any major presence as a heresy until the second century. So it's actually interesting to see it uh, sort of in its infant stages here. We, mm-hmm. There's not really a word for it. This It's not really in a lot of uh, the other books of the Bible. So we kind of see the very beginnings of Gnosticism here. Yeah, I definitely remember that, listener. Um, Gnosticism is actually a term that I'd recommend remembering because it's going to come up again as you continue and study. It's one of the known heresies. Mm-hmm. Um, so Epaphras, who was concerned about these beliefs, and so he visited Paul while in prison and informed him of the situation, and then Paul then provided him with this letter of Colossians to take back, escorted by Tychicus, our boy. So that's how we got the book of Colossians. Arker. Next. Nick mentioned that we should know about Gnosticism, and then we didn't talk about what it actually is. So that's what we're going to do here. Here we go. We're going to talk about early Gnosticism, okay? We're calling it early Gnosticism because this wasn't full-blown Gnosticism that we know of today. This was an early form that contained some of the core beliefs of Gnosticism as well as a bit of the Judaizers' belief mixed in. And we mentioned them a couple times. I guess it's worth noting that Judaizers believed that you had to follow certain laws as well. It wasn't simply faith alone that saved you, but also a list of old Jewish works, kind of like kind of like Pharisees, essentially. They they added laws to Christians saying you have to also follow these. Mm-hmm. So Gnosticism had, the early Gnosticism had some of the core beliefs that we see in today's Gnosticism as well as some of the Judaizers' beliefs mixed in. And on top of that, it's sometimes hard to put a finger on Gnosticism. Uh, it's, it's mystic and doesn't really have a concrete set of beliefs, but there are some common elements that Gnostics believe, though, and these are the things that we saw Paul combating in this letter. <clears throat> so I'm going to um, give you some of these common elements that we find in Gnosticism in letter form. Okay. So, A, God is good, but matter is evil. B, Jesus Christ was one of many emanations. Emanation is an abstract but perceptible thing that originates from a source. He was one of many emanations from God. C, Jesus is lesser than God. And D, There is a secret higher knowledge besides scripture that is needed for true salvation and enlightenment. And so this is sort of the thing that a lot of people pinpoint on in today's world when they're talking about Gnosticism is that there's a higher knowledge, a deeper understanding besides what the Bible tells us for true salvation. Yeah. And if you can't, if you're having a hard time remembering that, just remember ABCD. ABCD, baby. You know. That'll really help you. Yeah. A, B, C, D. Because you said you were going to make it easier and give it to them in letter format. Yeah. So. A, God is good. B, Jesus Christ was one of many emanations. C, Jesus is lesser than God. D, higher knowledge. Secret. Secret. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Secret knowledge. There's a higher knowledge besides what Christian tells us. Uh, Yeah, so these are all common traits of what we now know as Gnosticism, but the heretics that were ravaging the Colossian church also mixed in Jewish legalism, such as requiring circumcision, observing Jewish rituals, etc. They also called for worship of angels, 
which is interesting. Shouts out to Doreen Virtue and for people to seek mystical experiences. So basically, all in all, these people who are messing with the Colossian Church were just weirdos. Yeah, we're shouting out Doreen Virtue because we actually just interviewed her on YouTube. And she comes from a, uh, a previous life of, of mysticism and New Age stuff that she made a complete um, turn from and now is fully Christian and she has an amazing testimony. So we would encourage you to check that out. How you doing? Anyway, next up is the general <laughs> purpose of the book. And I believe that Paul's original purpose for writing this was twofold, actually. The first thing that I think he really had in mind was to argue against the heresy that was taken over the Colossian church by affirming Jesus's deity. And secondly, he wanted to lead believers into spiritual maturity so that they could stand on their own. And these are both things we can directly benefit from and apply to in our very own lives. Most Christians that I've encountered can't off the tip of their tongue come up with Bible verses um, that describe the deity of Christ. Everybody runs to John 1, 1. Mm. Can they really exposit it? Can they really tell you why it means that Jesus is God? Can they bring in uh, other contextual evidences like the book of Colossians to explain that Jesus is God? And there's many other books, by the way, that that show the deity of Christ. So if you're a Christian and you don't have that answer off the top of your head, make sure you start studying and get that answer down because it's essential to your faith. Why is Jesus God? Where does the Bible teach it? How do we know for a fact? Because if you try to evangelize to Muslims, they'll have a field day with you if you don't have Christology down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Colossians is definitely a book that you don't want to coloss over. You're going to want to uh, study this one really, really intensely. Yeah. The, the deed of Christ is definitely something you don't want to coloss over. Yeah. It's essential to your faith, so don't coloss over it. Exactly. You know, don't be flipping through those Bible pages. Yeah surpassing the important stuff that you could be colossing over. Well, you don't want to coloss over it. Yeah. All right. Next up is everyone. And I mean everyone's favorite part of the show. We've got letters in the mail, emails, DMs, mm -hmm. fun facts. Yep. And there are only a few for this book. When Colossae was a major city back in the 5th century BC, it was marched through by our old friend Exerces, Queen Esther's crazy husband. How you doing? Next fun fact is Epiphras. Apple fries? <laughs> Epiphras. Epaphras. Epaphras? Okay. Next fun fact Next fun fact is Epaphras, named several times in this book, is actually <laughs> apple fries. All right. Epaphras, named several times Epaphras. in this book. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs> Each try, we're getting closer and closer. Yep. <laughs> apple fries, named several times. Epaphras, named several times in this book, is actually short for Epaphroditus. Mm. Epaphroditus, apple, rather. Apple fries and sauce. Apple fries. Tess. What are apple fries? Apple fries and sauce. Epaphroditus and fries. It's outline time. 
All right, let's jump into the outline. We have one, two, three, four, five, five. sections of this book. Um, starting with section, can you guess? One. One. Two, oh. Section one, which is the introduction. One. This is the first half of one. chapter one, essentially. And it really starts with the salutation, of course, and then it goes right into Paul's thanksgiving for the Colossian church. He is thankful for their faith and for their love for others. And we are thankful for you. Yeah. Listener. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that is in... Thankful for you. Ter 1 verses 3 through 8. Following that is Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, and that is in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, similar to how we are praying for you, the listener. And we are thankful for you. In this section, he prays that the Colossian church will be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Secret spiritual wisdom? Oh, hey there. So that's the first section. The second section is the explanation of the person and work of Christ. Uh, and that's chapter 1, verses 15 through 29. This is the section we've we've been alluding to here. Yeah, I love this section. The Christological section that you don't want to colossal over. That you definitely could have a field day with a Jehovah's Witness because they're going to mention this 100%. Yeah. So the first portion of this is the preeminent person of Christ, preeminent person person that's in verses 15 through 20 of chapter one essentially this talks about how he is the firstborn of all of creation all things were made through him and for him he is the head of the church in everything he is preeminent and of course preeminent means surpassing all others yeah and you can also on our website uh, check out um a weird verse wednesday blog that we wrote about this passage uh at this point like two years ago and it will really help you understand why uh, firstborn doesn't actually mean firstborn as in something existed, but firstborn means head of. All right, next we are going to break down this section a little bit. So the first part is in verse 15, the first half of verse 15, actually. And this is that sort of famous verse that talks about how he is the image of the invisible God. So this is his preeminence when it comes to the Godhead. Um, also in relation to all of creation in the second half of verse 15 into 17, talks about how he created all things and holds together all things. Lastly is the preeminence in relation to the church. And this is verses 18 through 20. And this essentially says that he's the head of the church and we are reconciled to God through his blood. Next is the reconciling work of Christ. This is in chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. Um, and this is broken up into two sections. The first is the reconciling work as experienced by the Colossians. This is verses 21 through 23. And it essentially says that they were once alienated and did evil deeds, but they had been reconciled by his death. Also, the reconciling work was ministered by Paul, and this is in verses 24 through 29, and this is where he explains how he is a minister of reconciliation, toiling and struggling to see others know Christ. And I just wanted to say that I was involved in a missions organization called the 
worldwide ministries of reconciliation. What, in like college? In Houston? Yeah. Nice. Yes to both of you. Mm. All right. The third section is warnings against the philosophies of men. That is in chapter two. And and there's a, a few different sections within chapter two. The first one is verses one through seven, where Paul gives an exhortation to persevere in the truth. He's concerned that they would be swayed away by these Gnostic arguments, and he talks about that in verses 1 through 5, and then follows that in verses 6 and 7, exhorting the Colossian church to be rooted and established in Jesus so that they would not be swayed by arguments. And isn't that true, that it is so much easier to um, avoid false teaching when you know true teaching? Am I right? It's a lot easier than trying to understand all the different false teachings and try to remember that. Yeah. It's easier to just have a solid understanding of the Bible and good, solid theology, and in that way, you can avoid any sort of false teaching. And yeah, you have the Holy Spirit in you when you come to Christ and you know what you're hearing. You can discern really lies from from truth. And I've even seen it in my own life where I've been at churches in the past where I have not been as knowledgeable as I am today, and I have a lot more to grow. And I was sitting there, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. So if you're in that situation where you're hearing something that just isn't sitting well in your personal life, maybe at whatever church you're deciding, it's time to revisit what the Bible actually says. And if it's not connecting, maybe you should find a different place to worship. Hmm. All right. Then the end of chapter two, we get um, a couple notes here on doctrine. There's the first one, which is the true doctrine of Christ. And this is verses eight through 15. Essentially, Christ is the full deity, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, our sins have been forgiven. So that's the true doctrine of Christ. However, he contrasts it with the false doctrines of men. This is in verses 16 through 23. And essentially, he's saying here not to mindlessly follow rules to try and earn your salvation. So this is the little hint to the mix of uh, the Judaizers yeah. uh, beliefs with Gnosticism for the Colossians. What's church. interesting is it seems like all the heresies, even modern day, stem from from legalism. Yeah, stem from like works yep. based salvations. Yeah, it seems like most of them always have that commonality mm-hmm. where they want you to earn your salvation yeah. instead of just reliance on grace. Yeah, but even today we now we see hyper grace. Oh, it's yeah, also right. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, which where is also a heresy. Don't talk about opinion. sin ever. Yeah, I definitely don't agree with that. Like the book of Philippians. Yeah, like Paul's a heretic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we can compare his other writings and see that he teaches more than what's in Philippians. Yeah. Whereas the other pastors who aren't talking about sin don't mention it at all. Yeah. So there's nothing to compare to. It's false or false. Paul's a heretic. Yeah, that's that's what we're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. I'm so happy we can understand each other. I mean, I have heard Christians talk about like try to invalidate Paul. I have too. Actually, I yeah. watched a video yesterday about is a guy saying why I am not reformed, and his major kickoff point was I'm not reformed because reformed people are always quoting Paul, and I prefer Jesus to Paul. And I'm like, well, well, I understand Jesus is God and Paul's not, but it's all the Bible. You know, like it's a red letter. Whether it's yeah, whether it's, it's Jesus Christians. or Paul, it's all inspired word of God. You know what I mean? It's not like Paul's writings are underneath the Gospels because he also doesn't contradict what Jesus teaches. Exactly. Anyways, anyway, yeah. yeah, and a lot of the red letter Christians, in other words, like 
people, especially on social media, who will try to debate a particular post by saying, those aren't Jesus's words. He didn't say that, but they're completely avoiding the reality that the scriptures are God's word, is God's word, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is a part of the Godhead. And Jesus's words are just as good as the Holy Spirit's words and just as good as God's ordained word. Come on. So it's either God's word or it's not. Come on. I am delivered. That, I, that's how I feel about Sola Scriptura. Come on. I am delivered. Come on, baby. Like, it's either God's word or it's not. Come it's on. It's either the final authority or it's not. Come it's on. either perfect or it's not. Come on. Delivered. Come on, baby. We're going to preach today. And I'm going to tell you right now that the Holy Spirit is going to work in you today if you sow a seed into the Bible Diggers ministry. Just for one dollar, for one dollar only, you can be dinged for life. Do you see what I'm saying right now? I'm going to exhort some truth to you right now as we go into the, the part four of this outline that I am delivered and I talk about the exhortation to practical Christian living. I am delivered. All right. All right. Part four. <laughs> <laughs> there is like that one person who just keeps saying, come on, in the service. <laughs> bring, yeah, bring it. Come on. I feel chills, bro. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So part four of the outline is exhortations to practical Christian living. And we see that in chapter three, all the way into chapter four, verse six. All the way over there. Yep. All the way. And this is broken up into a couple parts. Basically, the basic principle in chapter three, in the beginning of it, verses one through four, Paul elaborates this call to remain centered on Christ, taking up the key Christological teachings of chapters 1 and 2. And then we see the proper method in chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, things to put off and things to put on. In chapter 3, verse 5 through 11, um, he's telling us, not us, but telling readers of this letter to put off what is earthly in them, basically things that were in their old selves before coming to Christ. And then he tells them things in verses 12 through 17 to put on clothes, compassionate hearts, oh. kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiveness, and love. And clothes. And clothes. And their wedding rings. According to Mark. Guys, you remember this was right at my wedding ceremony. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I have it engraved in my wedding band. That's a major Oz right there. So, this section of the outline I would like to devote to Mark. This is for you, buddy. We love you dearly. Shout outs. Shout outs to Mark if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the. F- <laughs> I haven't been listening this whole time. <laughs> Mark listens to Bible Dingers more than anybody else because he has to listen and re-listen to edit. <laughs> to edit and everything, yes. He yeah. has most of these episodes memorized. Mark's biggest point. fan. The biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. Then Paul starts describing the fundamental relationships in chapter 3 into chapter 4, verse 1. And that starts off with describing wives and husbands' roles in verses 18 through 19 of chapter 3. Basically, it's wives submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the, in the Lord, and husbands love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. 
A lot of people just really uh, focus in on the first part. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is your role. Be the role that God told you to be without recognizing that in order for a wife to submit to you, you need to be loving her. Come on. Come on. You're going to get <laughs> Not me again. preaching a sermon today. <laughs> I mean, this is where people are like, oh, it's just Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Topics like this. Yep. No, but it's a full circle. It's not wives submit to your husband and be, you know, forever. Let him lord over you. Yes, exactly. No, it's submit if you have a man worthy of submitting to you because he's loving you the way God is calling him to love you. And what does the Bible say about true love? That they lay down their life. Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. So essentially, a husband would die for you, a solid husband and live for Christ and realize that, you know, church and all these things that he's promoting in his life are going to make you a better Christian and a better child of God. If he's, uh, you know, if he's learning heresy, if he's believing in, in false truths, you know, no, false teachings, rather. If he's, no, false truths. Truths. If he's a jerk. False teachings. You're not going to submit to that. But if, if he's a Red Sox God, fan. <laughs> yeah. If he's a man of God, if he's instructing you to live like Christ, if he's following God's word, you submit to that. Why wouldn't you? Next up is children and parents in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents, and fathers, don't provoke your children. This part I found very interesting. I had to look into it a little bit. What does that even mean? So Paul doesn't want to see the children of Christian families disciplined to such an extent that they lose heart and simply give up trying to please you. Huh. So don't over-discipline. Discipline, but don't do it to a point like you're a drill sergeant and you don't give a child room to be a child. That's what I think Paul is saying. I think I might struggle with that. I think I'm very strict sometimes. I do too. Sometimes I feel like I'm mean. But then I look back and I'm like, I had to be, you mm. know? But it's a part of being a parent, man. No, I'm sad. Okay, it starts with confession. I'm sad. You learn, you grow. No parent's perfect. Mm. Yeah. I think you guys are good parents. Aw, thanks. I think you're going to be a dope father. Dope. Dope. <laughs> Sling your, dope. Your child, <laughs> your your dope child is going to be the most talented individual in his whole school. Absolutely. And everyone's going to hate him. No doubt. Like they hate me. Absolutely. And guess what? He's going to grow up and surpass them all, or she. And everyone's going to hate him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She. No doubt. Yep. Same way everyone hates me. Ax no, yeah, yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, Paul's talking about uh, marriage. Now he's talking about children and parents. And next he talks about something that causes huge debates throughout all Christianity, and that's slaves and masters in chapter 3, verses 22, into chapter 4, verse 1. Here, Paul is writing to both slaves and masters. It would be a misreading of the text if anyone assumes that Paul is just simply approving of the institution of slavery just because he has instructions for them. This is a reality of his culture, so he's writing to it. He's not approving it, but they're people, so he's writing to them. And it's significant that he's even writing to the slaves at all. If he's writing to the Christians of the Colossian church, that means the slaves were assembled with them there, and he viewed them as responsible individuals that he could even choose to write certain behavioral actions that they're required to do. So he's treating them like humans. 
The point of these verses to me is Paul's reminder to the slaves and the masters of whom the ultimate master of their lives is, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not it's not to start this huge debate over should should I does Paul approve of slavery or not? He's trying to wake up all the culture. And he's not saying, I agree with slavery. He's trying to wake up the slave, wake up the master, wake up the children, wake up the parents, wake up the people who are married. He's just waking everybody up. Wake up, everybody. everybody. Wake up. Get woke. Um, yeah, so we're not going to get super deep into slavery. But if you are concerned about this topic or interested, uh, we have a, a really good article on our website about slavery and the Bible and whether or not the Bible supports slavery, spoiler alert, it doesn't. But mm-hmm. uh, it's actually, it's kind of like an outlier because when people Google uh, the verse in Leviticus about slavery, our website is actually the top result. And so we have like a dinger nation, right, with our podcast and YouTube and our community. And that's kind of like a set group of people. And then for some reason, this article, because of Google, gets its own exposure. Yeah. And like random people, that's like random internet people drive to that article yeah, and know nothing really cool. about Bible dingers. It's really cool. I thought it's almost red blog. Actually, blog. I was yeah. talking to someone at church on Sunday and I told him about the, the podcast. He's like, oh, Bible dingers. I think I've heard of them. Yeah. We've so had like tens did. of thousands of uh, reads on that, in yeah. that article. It's amazing. Just, it's, yeah. It is crazy to think that, wait, you've heard of us without me telling you about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what blows my mind is that people will read that article and then not even look us up. They just yeah. read it and X out of it. I'm like, if I find an interesting name like that, I'm going to dive into it and see. Well, you're biased. But that yeah. is true. It's a long read. It's a long read. So if you guys are interested, it's going to take you probably a good half hour to get through it. But we are planning in the future on making a, a YouTube video series on the same subject. Yes. So you don't have to uh, hurt your little eyeballs there <laughs> reading for a half hour. Yeah. All right. Next up is uh, the essential practice in chapter four, verses two through six. He's saying to be watchful and pray. What's interesting here is the word watchful. What are they watching for? We know Paul, and we know who he's passionate about, that's Jesus Christ. So is he telling us to be watchful and just go outside and look up to the sky and just wait for Christ to come back? No. What he's saying is we are to be watchful of our own lives in light of Christ's return, especially as we pray. So pay attention to how you're acting in your life, because Christ will return, and there are no secrets. God knows everything that you do. There's no hidden things that he does not know. So be watchful of your life. Stand guard of your heart and know that Christ will come one day. Next up is the conclusion. We see the bearers of this epistle. Greetings from Paul's companions in chapter 4, 10 through 14. And greetings to others in chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Then we see Paul's personal conclusion in chapter 4 verse 18. He ends this letter deeply by telling readers of it to remember my chains, which I thought was amazing. Because of the context of prayer right before this verse, I believe he is telling them to continue praying for him with all the things that he went through. But like a lot of the other things in the Bible, I believe there is a second layer to this verse that is also providing us an extreme wake-up call. Remember Paul's chains. Remember the real life of a Christian. It's not all unicorns and rainbows for Christians. It's real work, 
real love, sometimes pain and suffering for the sake of the cross, not riches, not health, not fame. What we're promised if we put our life in Christ and we make him the center of our lives is so much better than all of those things. We are promised eternal life with God through Christ. Sorry. Well, everywhere... It, <laughs> I know what you're laughing at. Multiple. What? Multiple points in the outline. It's Christ with a capital H. <laughs> I know, bro. I was. It was so late last night. But how does that happen more than once? It's it's, it's actually everyone where you put Christ. <laughs> There's a C, capital H after C. How do you pronounce that? Christ. 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 <laughs> yes, so that wraps up our episode on the book of Colossians. Yes, yes, yes. So... Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, like we were talking about the blog, uh, you can go to our website, BibleDingers.com. We have everything listed on there. We have all of our episodes, our blogs, our videos, all, all kinds of fun little goodies on there. Also, uh, if you like it so much that you want to support us, we would very much appreciate that. We are a 100% patron-supported ministry at this point. Um and so for as little as $1 a month, you can join the community. And what we do is we uh, release episodes early to all our patrons. They get to hear our episodes a week before everybody else, as well as we have group chats and Bible studies and all kinds of fun things uh, specifically for our patrons. So check that out if you guys want to support us. Yeah, and we definitely want you to join. And if you enjoyed what you heard and you were edified from it, please go on Facebook Instagram, and Twitter, and search at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit follow, hit subscribe, hit like, and most importantly, ding on. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.